Advertising. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. You're listening to an encore presentation of Pilgrim's Progress. We will not be taking calls today. Make no mistake about this. God will do whatever is necessary to guard and protect his universe. We see that spoken of in the book of Jude. Let me share that with you. In the book of Jude, I'll begin reading for you. Uh, Let's see. Let's begin with verse 5. Though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their own home, these he has kept in darkness bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who will suffer the punishment of eternal fire. The book of Jude was written for the purpose of explaining the gospel. But then he had to change his purpose. He says in verse 3, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once and for all entrusted to the saints. For certain men, whose condemnation was written about long ago, have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. And then the entire rest of this chapter, Jude has one chapter, focuses on those men who divide you who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. They have a Spirit, but not the Spirit. Now, this is such a difficult issue to try to even begin to speak about. This truth of entire sanctification has been rejected by the modern church, and we're reaping now the harvest of wickedness in our nation because we have lived by lies. Let me be very specific. There is a a belief that is extremely common. And that belief is this, that somehow I'm able to be saved even in the midst of my rebellion. Now, I want to be clear with you. There's a passage. In fact, I'll turn to it quickly. You know it by heart. It's found in John, the third chapter. I'll begin reading with verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God is so concerned about the holiness of his law. He is so concerned about the sin issue in man's heart that he finally 
said, I will pay the price. Now, this sin in man is not just in man. That same sin was birthed in an angel by the name of Lucifer. Lucifer created of himself a devil, an unclean spirit. He created of himself something that is utterly, totally, completely wicked and corrupt. With him, many angels. Many of these angels are now held in prison. Jesus did not die for angels. When the angels sinned against God, when they sinned in heaven, God was so serious about protecting and guarding his universe that he cast them into prison. Now, it's also clear in the scripture that these angels, before being cast into prison, they were cast out of the heavens. And in the book of Enoch, we find in this extra-biblical source that Jude, by the way, is quoting. What I just read from the book of Jude is a quote from this book of Enoch. But we find in the book of Enoch that these angels came down and were in some manner able to have intercourse with the women of men and produced giants, Nephilim, and produced monsters. These, the scriptures say, were the men of renown of the old time. These angels were cast into prison. There was no second chance for them. They are held today in that prison waiting for the great day of judgment. In the scripture we find referred to a white throne judgment where every man will come before the throne of God and face and be accountable for his behavior. But we also find that the devil does not come to the white throne judgment. He has already been judged, but the sentence has not been carried out upon his life. That will not happen until the great day of judgment. At that great day of judgment, all sin will finally be dealt with. It will be totally expunged from the universe, and the universe will once more be safe. Now, we deserve the same treatment that Satan and his angels have been given. In Adam and Eve, the human race rebelled against the Almighty God and joined the side, the sedition of Lucifer. Now, we deserve also now the same treatment. We're told in the book of Romans, <clears throat> pardon me, we're told in the book of Romans that there is not one good person among us, that we have been completely and utterly given over to corruption. I'll read it for you in Romans, the third chapter, beginning in verse 10. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their, their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their way, and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, we don't see that in America as they see that in, say, Saudi Arabia 
or Iraq or Syria or in much of Africa, India, where the gospel has not had its way and changed the culture of men, you see brutality beyond human comprehension. I watched a video, a very disturbing video. It was a a video of a little gazelle in Africa bouncing around like Bambi. She was just as cute as she could be. And suddenly, out of nowhere it seemed, there sprang a huge baboon. The baboon threw this little gazelle to the ground, picked it up in its mighty hands, and began to eat it. And this gazelle is struggling to get away while the baboon is chewing away on its rear leg and finally tears the leg completely off. The little gazelle is making these horrid sounds. This little gazelle is being eaten alive until finally the gazelle dies. The baboon finishes his meal and allows others to come and finish the remains of the little gazelle. The point of the video was very simple. This is nature in a fallen world. It is utterly without mercy. It is utterly cruel. It has no sense of value. And we see that men today have lowered themselves to that same level. As we hear about men by the hundreds being beheaded in Saudi Arabia by this organization called the Islamic State, the caliphate that is forming with what is called ISIS or some such name. We saw this utter brutality in Japan where there was no proclamation of the gospel as they went into China and did such horrific crimes. Or we saw it among the Germans, the Nazis, who utterly renounced all of Christian life, all of what is holy and righteous, and killed the weak the old, the infirm, and then without mercy treated Jewish people as though they were less than animals, putting them into the ovens, killing them by the millions. We see today in America the rising up of such incredible cruelty, murder, sons murdering and dismembering a mother, the Mendez brothers as they shot their father and then shot their mother and then as she's crying on the floor, bleeding, pleading for her life, one of the sons goes out, reloads, His weapon comes back in and kills his mother without remorse. Such utter wickedness flowing out of the heart of man. Now, we're not accustomed to this in America because in America the gospel went forth with great power and America used to be a Christian nation, a Judeo-Christian nation with a value for life. Honesty, integrity, hard work, self-reliance. But slowly as the gospel has been cast down in this nation, as everything that is unclean has been lifted up, and now even 
here in Washington, D.C., allowing a Muslim worship service to take place in our cathedral. It breaks my heart. We have turned against Jesus Christ. Now finding that the whole Obamacare program was based on deception and lies. The architect speaking not just once, but now five times or so, laughing, sharing that the Obama administration purposely lied to the American people, costing people incredible amounts of suffering, loss of money, loss of their medical coverage, causing incredible hardship. And now he wants to do what he calls net neutrality, which is simply Obamacare of the Internet. He wants to do global climate change. And even as I speak to you, the chemtrails are being sprayed. You can hide from the fact that weather is being modified and weather is being weaponized, but it is. Simply do the research. It's all there for you to research. Google weather control. We find in America such wickedness coming and the destruction of all Christian values. A public school where young people are not allowed to speak with one another about Jesus. Casting Jesus utterly out of the public square. Making a mockery with abortion. Making a mockery with homosexuality and marriage. Mocking that which is holy and sacred and lifting up and giving a primary place in our culture to that which is utterly wicked. The Kim Kardashians. Hollywood. Sleazy. Unclean. Revolting. All of that. We must come to terms with and understand what's happening. And understand that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I don't know why God loved the world, why he loved us. I don't know. I know he did not love us for any self-serving purpose. I know it was out of the great grandeur of his heart in a desire that a part of his creation would not be lost, but would be redeemed. So the Son of Man had to be lifted up to pay the price for the law-breaking. And Jesus went to Calvary for you and for me. God so loved the world. I want you to hear today that God loves you. That he poured out his blood for you. I can't tell you why. I can only tell you he did. He loved you in a way he did not love the angels who fell because he offered them no way of escape. Perhaps that's because Eve and Adam didn't know fully what they were doing. 
they were a new creation. And they were to be the bride of Christ. The angels, however, sinned in full knowledge of what they were doing. They made a covenant together to rebel against the Most High. And they rebelled and performed their acts of indecency. And there was no relief for them. But God loved you and he loved me. He loved the human race. And he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish. Whosoever includes everyone. There is no such thing as a limited atonement. It is free and available for all of us. Tell me, if a man makes out a will and he says, all of my millions of dollars are to be spread among the elect. And then he dies. Who would be able to collect the money? Well, the judge would throw it out and say, we have no way of identifying the elect. But on the other hand, if he says, I want this money to be equally distributed among these people, and he identifies who they are by name, you will receive your inheritance. Well, John 3.16 is the will of Jesus. And it declares that anyone who is willing to come to him, who is willing to believe in him, may share in that inheritance. Let's be very clear. In some ways, verse 17 is more important than verse 16. It says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. The verdict Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be plainly seen that what he has done has been done through God. So there is a division that takes place between those who love the darkness, who love the wickedness, and who are utterly committed to remaining that way, and those who hate the darkness and want an avenue of escape. Now in John, or in Genesis 3.15, there is the promise that there would be a small opening that even though the human race was utterly taken over by the devil, there would be a small opening where we could choose to leave the darkness and enter into the light. Now it's vital that we understand how to enter into the light. Now I'm finding a very strange thing. Let me share it with you. I'm finding men and women who believe the gospel of Jesus is correct except in one point. They don't believe that Jesus is able to completely cleanse them They believe that the cleansing of their soul will not fully occur 
until they die. Hegios, the word for holy, is never used in the future tense in all of Scripture. It's always the present. Being made holy now, being justified now. And so the question, can a man be holy now? Can you leave your sin now? Or did Jesus only do a partial victory for you? According to the Apostle Paul in First Thessalonians, the fifth chapter, verse 23, he says, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you or make you holy through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful. He will do it. So when someone says to me, Pastor, there is no way that I can ever live without sin. We're all going to continue sinning until the day we die. Is that the gospel? No, it is not the gospel. It is the modern belief that has allowed Christians to cruise with the world while they think they have their feet in heaven. It's a lie. It's a way to adjust in such a manner that we don't have to be that serious about Jesus or that serious about sin. Now, some of you have said to me, Pastor, why do you always talk about sin? Well, because the whole Bible just talks about sin. It's the one topic of the entire Bible. You see, God had to put in place a rescue plan for the people he loved, and he loved you and me. And he said, I'm going to do whatever I have to do to rescue them. I will pay whatever expense is required, but I cannot violate my law. Let's speak just for a minute about the law. America, as compared to a monarchy, we are a republic. We are not a democracy. We are a republic. In a monarchy, the monarch can make all of the laws and decisions he desires to make. Now, the Medo-Persians had a a check because the Medo-Persians have always been a very passionate people. And so they put a check on their monarch, on their king. And they said, yes, you can make any decree you want to make because you're the king. But you can never change your mind. That law must be in effect forever. So a monarch, before he would make a law in the Medo-Persian Empire, learned that he must think very carefully about what he decrees because it will, it will last his lifetime. Well, in a republic, we don't have a king. In a republic, the law rules. We go by what the law says, and and the people all have a share in deciding what the law will be. Now, our modern president, not just President Obama, but several presidents, including the Bushes, President Clinton, they began to take advantage of the republic. They began to pass laws. They began to deceive the Congress. They began to take all of the power away from the Congress. And they decided to take it to themselves. And so you see, with Obamacare, it was possible for the president and his advisors 
to get this passed because of the party that controlled the Senate, the House. And you remember Nancy Pelosi saying, we have to vote it and then we'll find out what's in it. Well, we found out what's in it. Every kind of unclean thing, every kind of lie and deception, destroying the entire medical network that America has been so proud of, the best medical service in the world, bar none. But that happened because together men were willing to defy the Constitution and defy the will of the American people and jam down our throats something that was a horrendous monster that will utterly destroy this nation if it is not completely removed. In other words, our president, our executive president, has begun to function like a monarch, like a king, and in so doing is destroying America. Now he wants to make executive orders that will open the door for five million illegal aliens. I agree we need to do something, but I believe the people of this nation, through its representatives, through its republic form of government, should make that decision, not a king. You see, the Lord God of heaven also operates not just by his decrees, he operates by his law, and his law is righteous and holy. His law outlines the kinds of relationships that be, should be shared between men and women. It outlines the morality of his government. He cannot deny that morality. And we broke the law. We cast it down. We joined in the rebellion of the devil and we stole ourselves from God. We stole our hearts and our lives. We stole our money. We, we stole everything we had away from God. Everything belonged to him. He was our creator God. And now all of scripture describes this most magnificent rescue plan. And for you to come now and suggest that there's something wrong with God's rescue plan and that he has not provided adequate help that we could live clean before the universe is to utterly scorn the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. For a person to say to me, you know, Pastor, I know I'm going to continue sinning, I'm saved, but I'm going to continue sinning. Is such an abuse and such an affront to the living God of heaven after what he has done for us and after what he has provided for us, after the, the provision to be made righteous? What a horrendous abuse of the living God. That's what this whole book of Jude is about. He says, Godless men have come among you to change the grace of our God into a license for immorality or a license for sin. In other words, Jude is saying, there's going to come a time when men will slip in among you, pastors will come among you. And they will teach a doctrine that says, look, you're always going to sin. But the grace of God has you covered. The grace of God is a blanket that covers you. Well, no. The grace of God is not a blanket. I praise God that, that grace is not a blanket. 
Let me read it for you. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Grace, the definition of grace, is divine influence. It is unmerited. It is not something we deserve. It is something that is given out of the wonderful grace of God's heart, out of the wonderful mercy and love that he has for you and me. And again, let me say, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you enough that he died for you. And the reason he died for you was not so that you would continue to be ravaged by the devil and controlled by the old memories and the old events of the past. He came to set you free. He came to breathe into you new life. He came to heal the wounds of your heart. He came to do something so magnificent in your inner being that you would from that point on walk in the light. That you would never go back into the darkness because you had to go in. If you entered the darkness, you would enter only because you chose to side with the devil against the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, men have come in and they have said, oh, you can side with the devil and you you can walk in your sin because the blood of Jesus is like the blood of the bulls and the goats of the Old Testament. It's not powerful enough to remove all sin now. And so you're going to have to continue walking and struggling in the midst of your sin. You can't have the victory. The devil is the victor. You know what? I don't believe the devil's the victor. I believe Jesus Christ is the victor. I don't serve a loser. I serve a winner. I serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords who is almighty and all-powerful and by his blood came and he set me free. He washed me. He cleansed me. He renewed and restored my heart by the power of the Holy Spirit. I walk clean before him. I don't walk in sin before him. I walk clean before him. I've been rescued. I've been saved. Saved from what? Saved from sin. That's all you and I need to be saved from. We must be saved from sin, from rebellion, from wickedness, from unholiness, from selfishness, from arrogance, from pride, from everything that's included under that heading of ungodliness. It says men are going to come in and they're going to slip in. They're going to come and they're going to deceive you if they can. And they're going to put you back in bondage. They're going to cause you to think that it's acceptable before God to sin against him. They're going to cause you to believe that you can walk in your sin and still be saved. Have they done that in your life? I want to tell you, every man goes where his love carries him. If the world has your love, you will spend your life for it. But if if Jesus has your love, you'll go wherever he carries you. Who do you love? And are you willing to engage in such a manner with the Holy Spirit, with the living God of heaven, that this grace spoken of in Titus that brings salvation brings salvation. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. To live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope 
the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These, then, are the things you should teach, encourage, rebuke with all authority. Do not any, let anyone despise you. So, I do not apologize today for speaking again about the rescue operation that Jesus Christ has put in place. I don't apologize for talking about sin and telling you that if you are walking in sin, you will not be saved. You, you must leave your sin. And let's be clear, you cannot leave your sin in your power. The work of the Holy Spirit must be done. You must be washed with the water of being born again or born from above. And then you must experience the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit who renovates your spirit and your soul. Now, some of you, and I'm shy of saying this, but I need to. Some of you are saying, but pastor, does that mean that I'm lost if I'm still walking in sin? No, it doesn't. We find in the New Testament the writings, teaching by Paul, particularly in the book of Ephesians. He's speaking now to people who are saved, but they're infants. And I want to be very clear with you in just a moment about what I mean by saved. I don't mean salvation. I mean, you've entered the school of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has begun this process of renovating your mind and your heart and your soul. Now, some people are going to spend their whole life in that process. And that's an utter, utter waste of time and energy. We need to quickly allow the Spirit to get this work done in our hearts, submitting to Him, so that we can then use our energy for the salvation of others to be servants of the Most High God. But let me read this to you. He has given apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service. That's what I was just referring to. So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith, and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So in other words, there is a growing up process. That growing up and that maturing process does not necessarily mean we're walking in sin. Immaturity is not a sin. But it may mean that we are walking in some sin. He says, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Some of you are being tossed around. You've never grown up. You know what we call a man who will never grow up? We call him Peter Pans. It means he always wants to play. He never wants to become responsible for his behavior. He never wants to grab a hold of the truth. There are lots of Peter Pan Christians. They come into church. They claim all the benefits. But they never lay their lives down. They claim they're saved. But they've never laid their lives down. He says, for I tell you this, verse 17. This is Ephesians 4, 17. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. Literally, in the Greek, it's I tell you this and I demand this in the Lord, that you no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God 
because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. The only reason a person continues to sin after they have heard about Jesus Christ is either one, they are ignorant of the true gospel. They've never been taught the truth. Or two, they have chosen to harden their hearts against the word of the living God. It says, having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. That is, that you are set free in Jesus Christ from all the power of the devil. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your mind and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness, not declared righteousness and holiness, but true righteousness and holiness. And this word, new self, it is literally to put on what has never existed before. To put on a brand new self. Not the old self, a brand new self. That never existed before. Each of you are so unique and individual there's no one else in the world just like you, and you're precious to Jesus Christ. He loves you. He has poured out his life for you, and he is willing to make you into a whole new creation in true righteousness and true holiness. So he becomes very practical now. He says, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood. You must put off lies. Don't lie anymore. Speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we're all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. In other words, emotions are not sin. It's what you do with those emotions that can become sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. In other words, deal with your feelings. Do not give the devil a foothold. In other words, don't let a bitter root begin to grow in your life. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his hands that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only that which is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ forgave you. Be imitators of God. Live a life of love. Now, please, be very practical with me. Why would the Apostle Paul be saying these things if he knew that it was impossible for you to come up to this standard of life? Why would the Apostle Paul ask you to put aside all of these things of the human flesh if there was not a way for you to do that? He would be demanding of you the impossible. And we would say you are an unreasonable tyrant. But he's not asking the impossible because Jesus Christ will do this work in your heart. It will not be you trying hard. It will be you utterly giving yourself over to Jesus. I was seeing if I could find quickly. I made a list of 
of what must I do to be saved. I want to just go through that list quickly with you. May I? This comes from Sunday's sermon. You may want to listen. It's at nationalprayerchapel.com, and you can listen to the whole sermon. There was a two-part sermon. Uh, The first sermon, what must I not do to be saved? And then yesterday was what must I do to be saved? But let me just give you quickly the seven points in the last minutes of this broadcast. First, you have to understand what you must do. That you must return to God. That you've stolen yourself away from, from his service and from his love. You have to go back to God. And you have to understand that he's not interested in covering your sin. He's interested in utterly rescuing you, removing it, putting such love and peace in your heart, joy in your spirit. Number two, you must confess your sins to both God and man. And then you must, with that, make restitution. If you've stolen, and I went to a Panera Bread this morning, My bill was $10.11. And so I gave the man by accident $12. He counted the dollars and he handed me back $2 with change. I said to him, Sir, you should only give me back $1 and change. And he was confused, and I left the dollar with him. Had I walked out accepting that extra dollar, I would have known I was stealing because of the con- 